Well, I was watching the news a few weeks ago, because um, it's my holidays and that's what I'm allowed to do, um, and there was an item in it about the large number of counterfeit one-pound coins there are in circulation in the UK at the moment. Apparently nearly um, two million fake pound coins were returned to the Royal Mint last year, and one estimate is that one in every 36 pound coins is actually a fake. Just for pausing for anyone to reach for their wallet and start, start having a look. You can bite down on them, that's a good way to find out. But so clearly that's a big problem. We actually know that it matters when it comes to money, that the money we have is the real thing. And it matters if it's fake, we will not get the things we have wanted to buy. So the real thing, knowing what the real thing is, matters. And when I was thinking about that, I thought, actually, that's true in just about every area of life that matters. And it matters in things like politics. Can I trust what this politician is going to say, or are they faking it? Are they putting on ads? It matters in advertising. Do I trust that, that castles in Inverurie are wonderful to visit? Do I trust that, or is it, is it fake? It matters in personal relationships. Is this person being honest with me, or are they putting on an act? Instinctively, we know that, that authenticity is really important. How can we tell the difference between what's real and what's fake? And back to money for a minute. Um, when I was a child, I used to watch Blue Peter sometimes. I remember watching an episode where someone was being interviewed from the Royal Mint, and their job was to tell the difference between real banknotes and forged banknotes. And they were asking him, well, with so many different forgery techniques out there, how could they spot a fake? How could they spot a forgery? And the answer the guy gave was this, well, they would study a genuine banknote, and they would get to know it intimately, inside and out, as well as they could. And then they would be equipped to spot a fake. To know what is counterfeit and what is real, you have to first know reality. Get to know what is authentic, and then you can spot a fake. And in many ways, that is what the Apostle Paul is doing in this letter to the Colossians. He is wanting to remind a group of early Christians what authentic Christianity looks like, because he believes if we know the real thing, if we know it well, then we can spot the counterfeit versions that there were in the first century and that sadly still exist today. So if you were here last week, Charlie took us through chapter 2 where Paul described and warned against various counterfeit versions of Christianity. And those included, if you look back at chapter 2 and verse 21, a Christianity that bases itself entirely on rules, on self-discipline. Verse 21 of chapter 2, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Or then in verse 18, a Christianity that based on the quality of your personal spiritual experiences. So here it was the worship of angels. People going into great detail about what they have seen. See, both versions of Christianity were being promoted in Colossae. And Paul wanted his readers to know neither of them was the real thing. And so in chapter 3, Paul turns from those, those fake versions to show us the authentic Christian message, the authentic Christian life. Because when we know that authentic life, we will be equipped not to be taken in by the counterfeit versions. 
And Paul describes this authentic life not to boast, to somehow impress his readers that he's got the Christian life right and the false teachers have got it wrong. Because as we're going to see this morning, the Christian life doesn't depend on us, on how smart we are. It depends completely on Jesus Christ, what he has done and what he is doing in the lives of everyone who trusts in him, both individually and corporately. And as a result, there is no room for boasting here. Christ alone takes the credit for showing Paul the authentic Christian life. And Christ alone is the person that Paul wants to lift our eyes to this morning if we're to understand what it means to truly know the living God. Will we trust this message, Paul asks us? Because according to Paul, authentic Christianity depends completely on Christ. And Paul is determined that we get that right. Because if we get it wrong, we'll be tempted to try and live the Christian life in our own strength. And that will lead us either just to pride, if we think we're doing well, or more, more realistically, to despair when we realize how poorly we are living for Jesus. So let's look at this chapter together now. And firstly, and perhaps most importantly, Paul wants us to see in verses 1 to 4 that authentic Christianity depends on Christ for new life. Let me just read verses 1 to 4 again for us. Since then you have been raised with Christ, Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. These are sort of majestic words. But Paul said they're words that are true of every single Christian the moment they put their faith in Jesus. Because remember, we're pretty sure that at this point, Paul himself had not visited Colossae. He didn't know these Christians personally. So the descriptions here in verses 1 to 4, they're not ones he reserves for particularly impressive Christians, ones who've particularly impressed him with their godliness. No, they're true of every ordinary man, woman and child who puts their trust in Jesus. So verse 1, you have been raised with Christ. Verse 3, you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Verse 4, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So how does Paul describe the authentic Christian life? Well, it's all about Christ. It depends completely on Christ and what he has done. See, Jesus, he, he humbled himself. He entered our world to go to a cross, to die for our sins, to put an end to our rejection of God, the mess we had made of our lives. And if you place your trust in Christ, Paul says, well, verse 3, you died with him. Your old life lived simply for yourself. Your old life of ignoring God, of rejecting God, of, of listening to what the world says. That life, Paul says, is now over. At the cross, Christ took hold of you and changed you in such a decisive way that he can say, you died at the cross. 
that old life is over. And then Jesus rose again and we rose with him. Verse 1. See, Jesus brought into existence a new world at the resurrection. A world where sin and death would no longer have the last word. Where sinful men and women can be washed clean. Where we're able to relate to the living God as our loving Heavenly Father. And Paul says, if you place your trust in Christ, then actually you belong to that new world. You've been raised with Christ. You're no longer dead in your sin. You're alive with Christ. And you now have a new life to live with God as your Father, with Jesus as your brother, guiding you in your relationship with him. And in verse 4, Paul sort of sums up what he's saying here. He says that for every Christian, Christ, verse 4, is your life. Everything depends on him and what he's done for you at the cross and the resurrection. For the Christian, Paul says, Christ is like the air that we breathe. And if we lose sight of Christ, if we lose sight of what he's done for us, then we'll just suffocate. We are cut off from life. This chapter 2, verse 19 puts it, we've, we've lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Christ is your life, Paul says. Don't lose sight of that. See, so often we can think that faith in Jesus, that's sort of the ABC of the Christian life. It's something you tell children, that's how you get right with God. You ask Jesus into your heart. You trust in him. But then you go on to great things. Great works of holiness and self-sacrifice. You can leave that behind. Paul says, no. Christ is your life. Christ is not the ABC of the Christian life. He is the A to Z. He is everything about the Christian life. And apart from him, we can do nothing. If you're going to live an authentic Christian life, Paul says, you need to daily depend on him, on Christ, and on him alone. And the result of that daily dependence on Christ, Paul says, is a radically new life with radically new priorities. That's verse 1 again. He says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. That's one of those very abstract sounding phrases. What does it mean to set your hearts on things above? Well, the end of verse 1 helps us understand that he says that, reminds us that Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Because of his death and resurrection, Jesus Christ is now the risen and ascended King over all creation. So Paul urges us here, remember that. Remember that actually, Jesus is in charge. This world belongs to him. So often we think that other people, other forces are at work. We look at world leaders, we look at at, at big nations, we look at wars, we think other people are in control. But no, Paul says, set your hearts on things above because Christ is reigning right now over the whole earth. Remember that the world you live in belongs 
to Jesus. And remember that every good gift you enjoy in this world comes from Him. So a refreshing holiday comes from Jesus. Friends and family you love come from Jesus. Fish and chips on the beach comes from Jesus. A good film or a good book comes from Jesus. Everything belongs to him because he is seated at the right hand of God. He's the king of this world. So praise Christ for his gifts and trust him for his world. And remember that Christ is also Lord of your life. Your life belongs to Jesus. So entrust it into his hands. Listen to Jesus through his word. Set your heart on the life he calls you to live. Verse 2. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. If you don't value what the world values, instead set your hearts and minds on what Christ values. Because ultimately, he is the one you're answerable to. He is the Lord of your life. Now when you look at verse 2 there, that's a verse that could be misunderstood. Um, Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. So is Paul saying there that anything earthly is is evil? Is he urging us to sort of withdraw from this world and enter monasteries or convents and just meditate on what heaven will be like? Well, I don't think so. I don't think that is what Paul is saying. We've already seen that he says that Christ is the risen and ascended king over all creation, that creation actually is a good thing. In another of Paul's letters, in 1 Timothy 4, verse 4, Paul reminds his readers that everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. So Paul isn't a a dualist here. He's not saying that the material world is evil. He actually says we can enjoy the material world because Christ is Lord over it. See, what Paul means by earthly things in verse 2, we need to turn to verse 5 and its description of whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Let me read verse 5 for us. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. See, when Paul urges us to not to set our minds on earthly things, he's urging us, do not value what the world values. And according to that list of earthly things in verse 5, this was a list of things that will be valued in first century Colossae. And actually they're not that different to the things that are valued in 21st century Britain today. Basically you could summarise them as sex and money. As sexual fulfilment, as sexual freedom and the money that you need to make you happy. That's what the world values, Paul says. It valued it in the first century, it values it today. But in contrast to those twin idols of sex and money, Paul calls us to a different life. And he is absolutely convinced it is a better life. Don't fall into the trap of thinking that things in this world will satisfy you, that that sex, that money, that what this world says will be enough for you. Because they won't, Paul says. You've been raised with Christ and only life with him 
can truly satisfy us. Christ died and rose again to give you a new life, Paul says. So live it. Don't settle for second best. Because verse 3 reminds us that we died to that world. You're free of any misplaced allegiance you may have to the world that you once lived in. So turn your back on it, Paul said. Put it to death. Because now your life is hidden with Christ in God. Verse 3. And that's an amazing verse. I think Paul could have at least two things in mind when he uses that phrase. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. First of all, he probably means your life is completely secure with Christ. No one can get at it. Because Christ is looking after it. That's an amazing thought, isn't it? It's like in the school playground if there's a fight going on and you maybe hide behind the big guy to sort of be protected there. Because if people are going to get to you, they've got to get past him first. And in a sense, verse 3 is saying that, saying that if people want to get at your life, they've got to get past the Godhead first. It is so secure. The whole Godhead is keeping your life safe. Your life's hidden with Christ. In God, it is secure. But also that word hidden suggests that at present, in this world, Christians do not see fully the full extent of all that Christ has done for us. So again, you look at verses 1 to 4 and so many of the phrases seem alien to us. You have been raised with Christ. Your life is completely secure with him. You no longer have to listen to the world. You no longer have to submit to the world. But all too easily here and now, we forget that, don't we? We lose sight of what Christ has done for us. What he's won for us. Forgiveness. The Holy Spirit's power in our lives. The certainty that God hears and answers prayer. The new creation God's got in store for us. So much of that is actually hidden from us now. We don't see it yet. But look at verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Paul says it won't be hidden forever. On that day, when you finally see Christ, you will finally see and celebrate all that God has won for you. You can't see it all now. Paul says you've been raised with Christ even if you don't feel it right now. Your life is safe and secure with him even if you feel your life is so fragile. And let me say, it's no less real for the fact that we can't always see it. But verse 4 reminds us and assures us that one day we will see fully what Christ has done for us. And we will praise him with every fibre of our being on that day. We've only glimpsed the tiniest bit of Christ's lavish grace and love towards us. One day we're going to see the whole picture. And then we'll appear with him in glory. See, it is so important that we hear the descriptions of what Christ has done for us in verses 1 to 4. Because Paul is convinced the authentic Christian life depends on Christ and his work in us. 
And see, this is where the heading the NIV gives this chapter gets it really badly wrong. You'll just see in the NIV, just to remind you, that the headings in our Bibles aren't divinely inspired. That's quite important to to realize that. Because chapter 3 says, rules for holy living. Rules for holy living. Well, that is just to get what Paul is saying horribly wrong here. Because living the Christian life is not about following a set of rules. It's about trusting in Christ and all that he has done to empower us to live for him. A few years ago, we looked at this letter to the Colossians with one of our youth groups. And um, as we turn from chapter 2 to chapter 3, one of the members of the group just was convinced Paul is just contradicting himself blatantly here. And we chatted about it. And it was chapter 2, 2021. 20, In those verses, if you want to turn back to chapter 2, verse 20, Paul urges his readers, don't submit to the rules that the false teachers give you. So do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. But he said, but look at verse 5 of chapter 3, he says. Because Paul just gives him a whole other set of rules to do with putting to death whatever belongs to the earthly nature. So Paul says, don't sleep around, don't give in to lust, don't be greedy. Surely Paul's contradicting himself here. Just instead of one set of rules, he just gives us a whole other set. Now, if verses 1 to 4 of chapter 3 weren't here, then I would agree with that. If Paul just jumped straight from 2.23 to 3 verse 5, then actually, that guy had a point. But verses 1 to 4 are here, and they change everything that comes after them. Because Colossians 3 is not a list of rules for holy living. If you feel brave, you can score that out. But don't feel really happy. But Colossians 3 is a description of what Christ has done in the life of every Christian and of the new life he empowers them to live. Because Christianity depends on him for the power to change. And that's verses 5 to 10. For the power to change, he depends on Christ. And we need to see this. See, it is not by keeping a set of rules that we can put to death Verse 5, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed. It's only in dependence on Christ's resurrection power at work in us that we can put those things to death, not in our own strength. And then verse 8, it's not by self-discipline we can rid ourselves of, of anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from our lips. It is only by asking Christ to free us from those things that we have any certainty that we can be free. In another letter, Paul wrote to the Christians in Ephesus, Paul prays a wonderful prayer for his readers. I'll put it on the screen there. And there he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. See, and Paul says, if you're a Christian here this morning, you've been raised with Christ and the same power that raised Christ from the dead three days in the tomb will enable you to say no to sin and instead to put on the new self, verse 10, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. And only Christ has the power to change us. 
We need to see that this morning. On the forecourt of our church building on Malden Road, um, you'll often meet some of the local homeless population of East Oxford. Um, and I got chatting to one of them this past week. He's a man in his 50s. Um, he can often become very aggressive. He's fallen foul of the police quite a bit in the past. But he was in good form on, on Wednesday. And he was telling me about one of the other regulars on our forecourt. And this was an alcoholic who'd actually stopped drinking. And he was telling me he'd been clean for five and a half weeks. Which is an amazing feat. And we were both surprised at the news and both really happy for this, this other guy. Just five and a half weeks clean of alcohol. Then the man I was talking to, um, he picked up his can of lager that was with him and he took a long and thirsty drink of it. And he put it down and he looked at me and he said, I'll never be free of this stuff. This will be the death of me. And what struck me was just how calm and resigned he was to that. He thought, I'm never going to change. He'd given up. He knew he wouldn't change. He thought, his alcoholism, it's a fatal addiction. And sometimes I fear that many Christians can fall into that trap when it comes to their struggle with sin. After a few years of maybe idealism, where we think we're going to deal with all of it, we then veer suddenly to this attitude that says, I'll never change. People don't change. Who am I kidding? I'll go on repeating the same sins over and over again, and I just have to resign myself to it. Well, let me tell you from Colossians 3 this morning that if you believe you cannot change, if you believe that those particular sins in your life just will always be there, haunting you, then I think Paul would say you've reckoned without the resurrection power of Christ in your life. You've reckoned without it. Now, don't mishear me on that. I'm not saying we will be sinless this side of heaven. The Bible is very clear. We will be struggling with sin until we meet Christ face to face. But Paul is actually amazingly confident here that we can put to death sins in our lives. We can put particular sins to death because Christ gives us the power to do that. You can change, Paul says. You can be renewed in knowledge and the image of your Creator. You can become more Christ-like as Christ works in you and as you depend on Him. So don't give up in the battle with sin. Don't give up on the fight to set your hearts on things above. Jesus Christ has the power to change you if you ask Him to. So trust in Him, Paul says. Depend on Him and on the power available to you because of his resurrection. See, according to Paul here, the authentic Christian life, it depends completely on Christ. It's not about keeping rules. It's not about self-discipline. It's not about spiritual experiences. It's about knowing and trusting Jesus Christ, what he has done and what he is doing in us as he brings to bear his resurrection power in our lives. See, Jesus is the king. He's a risen and ascended king. 
And he can change us. And he will change us if we ask him to. <coughs> but as we finish this morning, I want us to see something else, one other thing that Paul sort of takes for granted in this chapter, but which we might miss today. And that is that this new life that Christ has won for us, it's not a life to be lived in isolation from other believers. So Paul's convinced authentic Christianity is lived out in relationship with God's people. And again, we shouldn't miss that. In our Western individualistic culture, we read bits of the Bible like Colossians 3, we look at this teaching about being raised with Christ, putting to death sin, <coughs> and we presume Paul is just talking to us as individuals. The Christian life is about me, about what I do, about me seeking Christ, how I should live for him. But we need to recognise something. Individualistic Christianity is not New Testament Christianity. You cannot live the authentic Christian life in splendid isolation from other Christians because God has designed it to be lived in relationship with God's people. So verses 1 to 4 again. All the yous there are plural. He's addressing a local church here, a group of believers, and he says that every single one of them has been raised with Christ. Therefore, as a community that has set their hearts, plural, on things above. <coughs> and then verse 11, where he reminds his readers that Christ doesn't discriminate between people the way we do. Let me just read verse 11 for us. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. See, in the first century, Greeks and Jews, they regarded one another with contempt. They looked down on one another. Barbarians, well, they were the ones who couldn't even speak Greek, so everyone looked down on them. Scythians, they were the lowest kind of barbarians who were often slaves, so the barbarians looked down on them. You see, there's such a hierarchy in the way we view one another. They had in the first century, it is today. The Scythians likely likened to the Irish today, I don't know. But Paul insists, Christ is all and is in all. That Scythian over there, the avoid like the plague, Christ is in him. He's precious to Christ. That barbarian lady, you don't understand a word she says. Christ is in her because she has been raised with him. Christ does not distinguish and discriminate the way we do. Christ calls us to live in relationship with each other. And one of the most powerful ways in which Christ displays his glory in this world is when Christians from different backgrounds, different walks of life, live in close relationship with each other. Let me just read verses 12 to 14 again. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, whether you're Greek or Jew, barbarian or Syrian, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Do you want to live an authentic Christian life? Well, then you need to live it alongside other 
Christians. Because only then will you know what it means to clothe yourself with compassion instead of anger, with kindness instead of malice, with humility instead of pride. Only then will you realize what it means to bear with each other and forgive one another. Forgiveness is a beautiful idea when you don't have anything to forgive. When you do have to forgive, it's a huge obstacle. Paul said that's what it means to belong to Christ. To forgive as he forgave us. So in verse 12, all those descriptions of how we're to clothe ourselves as God's people, they're all relational. And we'll only see Christ at work among us in our lives as individuals as we live in close relationship with each other, as we share our lives with one another. Paul's convinced of that. And the great thing is Paul is not just an idealist, he is completely realistic. He knows that it won't always be easy. Verse 12 to 14, bear with each other. There will always be things to forgive. The call to love one another will often be costly. You will need to bear with each other. But this is the life that Christ has raised you to live. And it is the life that will satisfy you. A life that depends on Jesus and that has lived in relationship with Jesus' people. So what's the message of Colossians 3 for us today? It's another simple one, really. Trust in Christ. We can add something to that. Love and serve Christ's people as you trust in Christ. But ultimately, the authentic Christian life depends on Christ and the life he's won for us for all of us who trust in him is to be lived together and in dependence on him so don't accept any counterfeit version Paul says you've been raised with Christ to new life so live it